The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah, chapter 26. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Finally. Finally, it was September 2nd, 2018, that I accepted the Lord's call to serve as your pastor at St. James. And six and a half months later, I stand in the pulpit. That's about 194 days. A lot's happened in Sandra's and my life since then. And no doubt you have experienced many changes and events in your life as well. Possibly you've begun to, maybe you've begun a new job. Maybe you've relocated to another city or place in the city. Maybe you've taken a trip overseas or done a trip across the country. Maybe you're experiencing new health challenges. Maybe you've made some decision about your schooling or career choice. Maybe you received a new member into your family. Or maybe you are coping 
with the death of a family member or friend. Finally, I've arrived. Now, when one considers the whole spectrum of time from the beginning of creation, six months is really like a drop of water in a rainstorm. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, today is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick was a great missionary to Ireland. What many people don't know about St. Patrick is that at the age of 16, St. Patrick, who lived in Britain, was captured by some Irish raiders and taken to Ireland where he worked in captivity as a shepherd for about six years. And it was during this time of captivity where he developed deep convictions for God. While Patrick was isolated in the wilderness herding cattle, he experienced a profound sense of God in creation, in the wind, the fluctuating seasons, the variety of creatures. And he began to understand the Irish Celtic people and their local language and their culture. Patrick found himself beginning to love his captors, identifying himself with them, and hoping that they would receive reconciliation with God. Now, after about six years in captivity, Patrick escaped by ship, and he made it safely home. And it was while he was with his family that he had a vision, a dream, his Macedonia experience, if you will. And it convinced him, this vision convinced him that he should leave the safety of his home and go back to Ireland as a missionary. Well, even after some training, Patrick felt unqualified to be sent. He didn't think he had enough education. His Latin was inadequate. He actually struggled to read. His superiors did not think that he was good missionary stock, and so they didn't want to send him to Ireland or anywhere else as a missionary for that matter. But he pestered them. He pestered them over and over again, send me to Ireland. And fortunately, he had influential friends. And finally, he was granted permission to return to Ireland as a missionary. And so around 432 A.D., St. Patrick traveled to Ireland, and as he set foot on the soil of Ireland, some 20 years after his Macedonian call, not six months, but 20 years after his Macedonian call, what do you think he said, or what did you think he thought? I would suggest to you that he thought, finally, finally, I've arrived. Finally, it's the interjection often spoken by God's people who have waited and waited for the Lord to answer their prayers or to have their hopes and dreams realized. For example, Noah and his family lived on the ark for 370 days until the floodwaters receded. Finally, they could get off the ark, that stinking, noisy vessel. Abraham and Sarah 
tried to have a child repeatedly according to the Lord's promise. And yet they waited until this 90-year-old Sarah gave birth to Isaac. And I can only imagine that she held Isaac in her arms that she finally said, or she said, finally, finally the promise has arrived. Joseph spent three years in jail for an offense that he did not commit before he was elevated to serve as a governor of Egypt. And I can just imagine as he came out of that prison cell that he, find, that he said, finally, I'm free. The people of Israel served as slaves in Egypt for 430 years, and then God raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. And as you may remember, as they went into the wilderness, they spent another 40 years in the wilderness. But then one day they set foot on the promised land. I can just imagine that many of the people of God said, finally, finally, we're here. Simeon, in the New Testament, had waited for a Savior to arrive. He had been promised by God that he would not die before he could see the Messiah. Well, one day he's in the temple. Mary and Joseph bring the Christ child into the temple to have Jesus circumcised. And Simeon, taking Jesus into his arms, said, Finally, Lord, you may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. For 38 years, a man had been paralyzed and waited in vain to be placed in the pool of Bethesda with the hope that he would be healed. But then one day Jesus met up with him. And Jesus said to this man, get up and walk. And the man did so. And he was cured. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. And I can just imagine as he jumped around and leaped with joy, he said, finally, I can walk. An unnamed woman had been bleeding for 12 years with no medical relief. But then one day she touched Jesus' robe as he was passing by her, and she was healed immediately. And I can just imagine the woman saying, Finally! And a man had been born blind, and Jesus restored his sight. Can you imagine? Never being able to see before, and then all of a sudden being able to see. I can only imagine, he said, Finally! I can see, I can see. All of heaven and earth awaited the arrival of the Savior. And when the fulfillment of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. And with the birth of God's son, all creation breathed a sigh of relief and said, Finally, the Savior has come. But then for 30 years, the angelic host with bated breath watched as Satan and his minions tried to derail the work of our Savior. At times it appeared as though Satan was going to win, that he's going to triumph, especially when Jesus was led into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights was tempted by Satan. 
No doubt the angels watched nervously as Jesus wrestled with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, or when Jesus was abandoned by his followers and arrested by the leaders of, the, of his day and then nailed to a cross. All the heavenly hosts probably wept as Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was like everything was going was, was to be lost, that Jesus was going to lose, that the plan of salvation would not come, come as it was planned by God and for all eternity. But then they heard Jesus say these words. It is finished. It's finished. What did Jesus say? It's finished. And then it dawned on the angels and all the angelic hosts that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was integral to God's plan to rescue humankind from sin. And the heavenly host rejoiced and proclaimed, Finally, finally, it's finished. Finally. Have you ever thought about how beautiful that word is? It's often a prayer of relief, an exclamation of thanksgiving, a spontaneous utterance or a feeling that we have as a believer responds to the Lord's answer to a desperate or long-awaited petition. And I hope and pray that you've been able to speak this one-word prayer in your life, for it's exhilarating and it's faith-edifying to see the fulfillment of a petition. But dear friends in Christ, for every finally fulfilled, there are probably five or ten or many, many others unfulfilled, unfulfilled petitions. I mean, I could go through the scriptures and recount hundreds of prayers and hopes and dreams that were not answered, at least in the way desired by the one praying or hoping or desiring. In fact, all three of our appointed readings for today are examples of unfulfilled prayers, dreams, or hopes. I mean, Jeremiah, and God for that matter, had hoped and prayed that the people of Jerusalem and the people of the province of Judea would repent of their sin and believe in the one true God. But instead, the priests and the prophets and all the people at the temple rejected Jeremiah and the message that God had sent him to, to proclaim to them. And instead of embracing God, they plotted and said, we must kill Jeremiah. St. Paul like our Lord, desired that all people would come to the knowledge of the truth and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we read in our text that Paul was moved to tears. He wept. He wept because many people, and possibly even men and women who once were disciples of Jesus Christ, had now become enemies of the cross of Christ. That was certainly not his desire. His hope and dream was that people would believe in Jesus, not reject him. And even Jesus' heart was for the fellow Jews to believe in him as the Messiah. And yet the people rejected him over and over again. And Jesus cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under protective wings. But you, you were not willing. 
Yes, the Bible is filled with all kinds of unfulfilled dreams, petitions, and prayers. Are not our lives cluttered with unfinished, unfulfilled dreams and aspirations, hopes, and prayers? I mean, what of the person who desires to be married and yet remains single? What of the teen who yearns to fit in and belong, but remains the outcast? What of the young couple who petitioned God to make the wife's womb fertile, only to find that they remain barren? What of the person who struggles with chronic pain, and yet who finds no relief? What of the person who prays for protection for their loved ones only to learn later that that person was maybe injured in an accident or maybe even killed in that accident? Or what of the person who struggles with the sin of the flesh and asks for the Spirit of the Lord to grant him strength to overcome those temptations but finds that he only seems to repeatedly repeat those sins over and over again? What of the person who suffers with depression and who pleads with God to, make them over, to help them overcome that depression and yet they find no relief? Or what about the person who's confused by the, her gender and asks God to settle her soul, but she still remains unsettled? And what of us who desire our loved ones to come to faith in Jesus, but only to see them reject Jesus again and again and then die without our prayer being realized? Yes, we have many unrealized, unfulfilled prayers, petitions, dreams, and aspirations. And all of these unfulfilled hopes and prayers are often the source of pain, the source of suffering and grief, and they lead to all kinds of trials as we endure our earthly pilgrimage. Our lives in this broken world are difficult. They're frustrating. They're exhausting. They're incomplete, and at times they're downright bewildering. But through it all, St. Peter reminds us, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's being kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's to be revealed in the last time. These words are worthy of committing to our memory. For St. Peter reminds us of that which is ultimately true and that will make all of our unfulfilled prayers and dreams and aspirations easier to accept or at least to endure. For he reminds us that sooner or later all of these things that bring us pain in life will vanish. One day we will be delivered from this fallen world and everything that has caused us hurt and incompleteness in life will cease. When we pass from this life to the next, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For well, the old order of things will pass away. We are wise to hear and to take to heart the promise 
the promises God makes to us in his word. I don't know about you, but I know I need the daily reminder that I'm a child in the family of God through holy baptism. I'm sure you need that assurance as well. I'm sure, like me, you need to hear God's declaration that our sins, that your sins are forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ. I'm sure, like me, you need to come to the Lord's table regularly and to receive the very body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the strengthening of our faith so that we can get through those challenging days that we face day by day. And we need not endure this wearying journey alone. That's one of the reasons why I was called by God to be the pastor of this congregation. To preach. To teach. To share these promises of God with you. To walk alongside of you and your family as you experience the highs of life, but especially the lows of life when life seems to make no understanding. And this is why you are a disciple of Jesus Christ at St. James. So that you may speak and share and encourage one another with God's promises and to love and to support one another along your mutual life journeys. And that's why St. James Lutheran Church and school are in this neighborhood. There are children and men and women all around this building, who live in the homes of this neighborhood, who are struggling with life. And they need God. They need Jesus Christ. They need his forgiveness. They need his peace. They need his joy. They need his hope. And God has placed us here so that we can go and share this word with them. And so, this is my expectation as I begin my ministry among you. My expectation is this, that we will worship together, that we will study God's word together, that we will encourage one another with God's word, and that we will fervently love and serve and support and pray for, no, for one another as we travel through this earthly pilgrimage. And yes, it is true that one day we will die. And that's a journey that we'll all have to take by ourselves, so to speak, although we may be surrounded by family and friends, by congregational members, but one day we will die. And as we approach the gates of heaven, Jesus will meet us with arms wide open. And our Savior will envelop us with an eternal hug. And what do you think we might say at that moment? Well, I think I'll say something like this. And I think you might too. Finally, finally, finally I've arrived. Finally, I'm home. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.